Radio Split Ranch. Hello and welcome once again to Radio Split Ranch, a monthly visit with the Capital Region's great radio personalities of the past and sometimes present. I'm Warren Garling when I'm not on the radio. If you're enjoying our opening theme music, you're in luck. You'll be able to see the composer, and hear him too, the one and only Drew Jacobs live at the Linda, the WAMC Performance Art Studio in Albany, when he appears as a special guest of Nitty Gritty Dirt Band founder John McEwen coming up on February 27th. Check out all the details at thelinda.org and enjoy the show. Say hi to Drew for me. Our guest at the Radio Split Ranch this month is a man who didn't have a very long radio career, certainly not as long as all our previous guests seem to, and that, my friend, is because he's smarter than the rest of us. But despite that, I think you'll enjoy listening to his take on how much fun you can have working with other lovers of the industry. Here's my fun conversation with Larry Mossy. My special guest this month, and I say special, because it's the first time I'm actually interviewing uh, an author, somebody that's actually published a book. And we'll get into that as we get along into the interview. But uh, Larry Mossy, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Warren. And uh, you're a little different from everybody else that I've interviewed so far in that you didn't spend your whole life behind the microphone. I'm a little different in that nobody knows who that <laughs> I am. That's That too. <laughs> because but, I was the ensign pulver of radio. Oh, there you go. I like the culture. Yeah. I managed to spend 18 years in that culture, uh-huh. almost all locally right. here right. Uh, in the Albany market. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, I was not on the air a lot. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I spent yeah. a lot of my time doing other things, production, mm-hmm. announcing. Um, right. I did... Uh, Continuity. I did okay. copywriting. All right. I did production. Yeah. Whatever. Whatever could keep me off the air. <laughs> hey, <laughs> and I, I think my employers agreed with me. I mowed the lawn at WKAJ in Saratoga, oh, so I mean, you know, in between shifts, it's still show business. <laughs> exactly. It's like the the guy that cleans up after the elephants. Uh, there the circus, you go. Right? Hey, he's still in the circus. <laughs> So what led you that this direction? Did you have any idea growing up that this is something you might want to do? Uh, when I was a little boy, I would listen to those. Remember those craft music hall things with, uh, they always had great announcers. Okay, yeah. yeah. And I went, So when I was a little boy, I wanted to be an announcer. Because uh, okay. I thought, what could All be right. better yeah. than just standing there talking into a microphone? There you go. There but you then go. I didn't really think about it until uh, I was... I think it was 21. Uh, I didn't have a job. <laughs> I wanted a job that paid a little more than minimum wage, and that okay. was radio. Yeah, really? You found you <laughs> found paid more a than little bit more than minimum Very wage? Very little bit more, yeah. I think I've told uh, the story before that I had the offer. I had two offers on the same day when I came back from college to work in the area, and one station offered me $2.10 an, offer, an hour. The other one offered me $2.25 an hour, so I had to go with the two twenty-five. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, absolutely. or you could wait for the bidding war to start. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Two forty. No. Uh, yeah, no. I so I went to radio school. Oh, uh, okay. A friend of mine dared me to call, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I said, "No, I'm an I'm an introvert. I would not." <laughs> I found out years later that mostly people that get into radio are introverts, yeah. um, or a lot of them are. Yeah. Uh, so, but yeah, so I called on a dare. I got into radio school. Six months later, I was on the air. 
Now, did you know that they took almost anybody? No, they, I'm, I'm sorry. They, they really didn't. Yeah, I, they really I, did. <laughs> well, no, no. well, to be very honest with you, at one point, they didn't. At one point, there really was a Now, you're talking there, about there radio stations or schools? I'm, no, I'm talking about schools. And I'm talking in particular the one that, that you went to because I worked there yeah. for about five years. And, and working with Tom Brownlee, he had a certain set of, uh, of, of criteria that he was looking for. And, and in most cases, he hit it on the head. He, we didn't have a lot of... You know, failures, if you will, coming no, out of the school. No, yeah. no and uh, the school is very proud of its. I think its placement rate was like ninety-two percent. It, it was right yeah. up there, exactly. Uh, now, it, it, we didn't say we we got the first job for them. We didn't right. say how many of those people went on to stay in the business or to have any big success. In well, the that, business. that's up but to you. And even Tom, exactly. Tom told me that. Yes, he said, you know, we'll 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 do our best to get you a job yeah. out of radio school, but after that, it's up to you. He yeah. also told me other things. He said, if you don't get fired within your first five years something's wrong <laughs> make sure you get fired within your first five years it looks bad on a resume that's probably where i went wrong yeah. uh what else uh he also said if you don't make it to a major market within your first five years you're doing something wrong hmm. which is not necessarily true because there are there are some good radio personalities that have chosen to hmm. stay in this market yeah one oh, brilliant one me uh, and I, I, you know, I had I had opportunities to go elsewhere, yeah, to yeah. bigger markets, right. and I and I chose not to because I have family right. here. Exactly. You know? Yeah. I, I think of Don Weeks, who was just the uh, you know, as far as I was concerned, just the ultimate for his time. You know, he was just the ultimate morning DJ, and uh, had offers from other markets, and decided no for his family. He really wanted to to stay here. And, yeah. and of course, look at it. You're a bigger fish in a smaller pond here than you would be, you know, going to a, perhaps a major market where the competition is ridiculous. Yeah. And I think also there are different uh, motivations. I think some people like to uh, become, you know, Wolfman Jack or Howard Stern or Charlie Tuner as close to them as he can get. Mm -hmm. uh, and those are your, you know, they're shooting for stardom. So, yep, you're going to try to hop. To bigger markets oh, sure. and bigger stations, sure, and that morning drive gig, but others of us wanted just like the culture of radio mm -hmm. and wanted to stay working within it because it exactly. allowed us to not grow up, exactly, and to be adolescents and to <laughs> pick on each other and yeah, yeah, yeah. But you you enjoyed that part of it from what from what I've read in in your book. Let's talk about your book briefly so we sure. can. Make sure that we get the title out there once or twice here in, in the uh, interview. Okay. Um, but uh, you spent uh, quite a bit of time writing uh, this book. Tell everybody what the title of it is. Jeez, I forgot the title. Oh, it's man. Dead Air. Yeah. Oh, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> Dead Air. It's about two things. It's about uh, my first job in radio, mm -hmm. working as a background music radio announcer. And it's about background music yeah. and its history. And, and that's that's what enthralled me and kept me going page to page is that you you bounce back and forth between you know your life story in in the business and the and the great characters that you met and worked with uh, to all this very interesting information about the psychology behind the type of radio you were doing yeah yeah which I didn't I didn't know until I started researching the book mm -hmm. that part of it I yeah. mean I had I had done it I had been a background announcer mm -hmm. background music announcer but I had not been privy to the psychology behind it yeah um yeah. it's passive it's called passive listening yeah yeah or it's often called passive listening and uh it's 
music that you're supposed to hear but not really listen to. Yeah. And so because you hear it subconsciously, basically, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it can uh, it can cause you to behave in certain ways. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. On the radio, it can cause you to forget the radio is turned on, <laughs> and therefore you you rack up lots of time spent listening. Exactly. Ratings. Yeah, that's what they were looking for. Yeah. Uh, in the workplace, it made you supposedly work faster hmm. and make fewer mistakes. Mm-hmm. Uh, in wartime, it was you know it was supposed to uh, increase factory production. Mm-hmm. So there's all kinds of in shopping supposed oh, sure. to make you buy sure. more food. Yeah. Dining supposed to make you I don't know. Yeah, yeah, spend longer buying stuff. Yeah, for for folks that are are old enough, they remember the the term uh, Muzak, which was the name of a company. Muzak, uh, yeah, right. that produced music for again stores and shops and shopping malls and and such. That was kind of you know backgroundish. Which today, I mean, the the business is still booming. It's called something different. It's not Muzak it's any called longer. Mood. No. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Um, but that's the kind of music that you were playing, which in the back back in the '60s and early '70s was a very popular format. It was, and uh, it uh, uh, started in the early part of the last century. Uh, passive listening music. Thomas Edison used to play music in his hmm. uh, phonograph factories. Interesting for people who produced. So that people would produce his phonograph records <laughs> okay more quickly. <laughs> okay, it makes um, sense. Charles Squire uh, started Muzak. He well, it was a wireless radio, and then he changed the name to Muzak in the twenties or thirties. I, I have to look. I have to reference my own book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, and yeah, that 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 did quite well. And uh, he Muzak actually used two different formulas. The first one they called, I think, was uh, stimulus progression. Which sounded pretty impressive, mm. and that made people work yeah. faster Makes and sense. harder. And then yep. they changed to quantum modulation after the war because we didn't need to make bombs and tanks anymore. We needed to uh, evoke certain moods there you go. for dining, shopping, whatever, sure. Uh, sure. office. So uh, yeah. he changed the he, – he came up with a – uh, with a different name. Okay. So quantum yeah. modulation was also very impressive sounding. Mm-hmm. And then guys like Jim Schulke uh, adapted it for radio, yeah. thinking, geez, yeah. if people don't know what they're, if people don't even hear, really listen to the music they're hearing, then they won't turn the station. Mm-hmm. And it worked for mm-hmm. a yeah. number of years. For, yeah, for a very long time. Yeah. Those stations were, you know, top five stations, you know, easily. Oh, they in, were, in, they in were great. all over I, the country. I, yeah. I, 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 uh, when I, the only station I worked at out of this market was I was in Houston, and I worked at KYND briefly, and that because it was Shulky okay. music, same as I played mm-hmm. here. And uh, I said, what? You know where you rank because I had no, I didn't even go there to get a job. I mm-hmm. just ended up with a job. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he said, "Oh, we're number one." Yeah, there you go. <laughs> those those stations were were num- were number yeah like top five stations mm-hmm. in most in many major markets. Yeah. Now, when you left the new school, was that were you looking for that type of job? <laughs> yeah, yeah, Warren. I was <laughs> I was twenty two. And I couldn't wait to to uh, play Montavani and 101 okay. Strings. Well, we'll see what I'm getting that to. That was my dream. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but now in your book, you do talk about the difference between between being being a disc jockey 
and being an announcer. I and was you a horrible admitted, disc jockey. Okay, you yeah. announced you wanted to be an announcer. I did okay. because I I did not want to be a disc jockey. Yeah, I just I liked the idea of working in radio. Okay, so uh, but that's not to say I wanted to work that mm-hmm. format. Yeah, that you know that I, the reason I ended up working that format is because John not called me up and offered me. Uh, say, need a, I need a part timer. You want to come? <laughs> want to come down and audition? Yeah. I was about three minutes from giving up getting a job in radio after I got out of school. I sent out audition tapes. Nobody, sure. nobody would even interview me. Mm. I'm like, yeah, yeah, maybe I'll go back work at the animal shelter again. <laughs> but uh, you know, John called me up and I went down there. I said, oh. Uh, WHSH. Yeah, James, yeah man. James oldies. Life. I'm going to go down there and play yeah. oldies. I love oldies. Yeah. I got down there. He said, ah, we don't do oldies anymore. We're beautiful music now. Yeah, yeah. I said, what's that? He goes, ah, you'll find out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Now, you're on one of the more, uh, you know, uh, better FM signals in the market, which went on to become a, a you know, uh, it's, it's always been a hot spot on the dial because it, it's 106.5, eventually went on to become, you know, picks 106, picks 106 yeah. and that's, you know, still a top five station to, right. to this day. No, we had a great signal. Yeah. Uh, we just couldn't make any money. And that's the other question. Now, you know, if you compare it at all, and there are some similarities, obviously, to Muzak, you didn't hear commercials, obviously, when you're shopping. You got the thing going on, unless you had the guy doing the, you know, Blue Light special or something in, be- in between the songs. So um, here you are trying to make money doing, you know, this. W- what kind of sponsors wanted to be on a station where your your background? Well... First of all, I made big money, Warren. Personally. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> I, I was up to like one hundred and twenty dollars a week. Oh man, are you kidding me? Wow. Remember, I used to. I we used to get paid every two weeks. Yeah. And I'd go to the bank to deposit my check, and it was a it was an attractive girl yeah. that worked at the bank, and I always remember hoping that she thought that it was, that was one week and not fl- two. Your weekly rather than it your was bi-weekly. weekly rather than bi-weekly. Although even, <laughs> even as a weekly salary, is pretty pathetic. She never even made eye contact with me exactly. for the three years that I went there. But uh, the uh, well, the format had a hard time making money yeah. in smaller markets because of the uh, restrictions. You know, we couldn't play anything with jingles. We couldn't play any, any commercials that had uh, shouting, any commercials that had... Uh, any kind of a raucous sound that might wow. that might get attention. So mm. a lot of commercials were banned. Interesting. Uh, or we had to do uh, a, a different version a than different what version. was on right a, a pop. Uh, and then or they something. they they uh, commercials were aired at a lower volume. Interesting. Than, than the music. Yeah. Uh, so Which were the announcers. The, the exact opposite of what was happening on TV right. through the years. Exactly. They, they finally had to come up with a yeah. rule that you couldn't make the commercials louder than the programming. And we had uh, limit, uh, with Shulky anyway, of uh, six units per hour, six commercials per hour. Wow. So it was really tough. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then, of course, our sister station on the AM was WTRY. Okay. And TRY was... A, a leading station. Yes. So yeah. a lot of times uh, we would we would end up on a combo buy, which is where, you know, you, you sell a commercial and then say, well, our sister station will give will give you a free yeah. few free spots there if you if you sign. Hmm. Uh, so it was really hard to tell even how many how much money uh, we made on Wish, but mm-hmm. uh, it wasn't much. Yeah. Um, so. 
I, I just remember that the music, again, was so you know, nondescript. Um, the music in many cases, um, uh, well, first of all, there's no vocals in any of these, correct? Or very no, few? No, that's, that's not strictly correct. Okay, um, all right. We would have, uh, the, the beautiful music formula was to play, uh, first of all, never play hits. Um, never play anything that was a hit. We could play Paul Moriart. We couldn't play Paul Moriart Love is Blue. Interesting. It was a hit. Wow. We'd have to play Paul Moriart you know, some other, some obscure song. Yeah, yeah. Because, because then it would become active listening. People would recognize the song. They'd go, ooh, turn it up. That's the last thing we wanted our <laughs> listeners to do wow. was to turn up the radio because that meant that they were conscious of having the radio on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, so but we did purpose. do some vocals. We had group vocals. Okay. And uh, we would have, I think, usually one group vocal per set, and each set was a quarter of an hour. Okay. So we would have like the Mike Sam singers. Okay. Or, you know, some some obscure <laughs> group vocal. Um, yeah. We did have solo vocals, but they came up very rarely. Okay. And when they did, it was it was... It was Johnny Mathis, but it wasn't Johnny Mathis singing Misty. Yeah, it was Johnny yeah. Mathis singing some obscure song. Yeah, there you go. Uh, wow. So, yeah. Isn't that an interesting psychology? Yeah. It, well, it, it was accurate psychology, yeah, too. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, you remind me of, um, of a day when, when I worked at the new school, I worked with uh, Joe Condon. So we've been friends since the, the late uh, 70s. And um, he was doing, he was one of your competitors. He was on WROW right. playing a similar format. They, in yes. fact, I think you told me once that they, they tried the Shulky and didn't like it and, and went they to tried and came up with their own. Well, Joe told me. I didn't even know that till he told me that. Okay. He said, yeah, then we went to our own in-house yeah. uh, formula. But we, he said, Shulky always made us whisper the news, whisper the news. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, <laughs> okay. that's exactly that's what, what he made us do. To do yeah. We had to, we had to speak very slowly well, and very low. Yeah. Joe was working but, yeah. um, Saturday mornings at WROW, and I'm over on WTRY part-time Saturday mornings. And this was the late 80s. And he's in a in a spot where they're playing this uh, this again remade music. This is music from you know different groups all over the world. A lot of Canadian groups, evidently. And what he was finding is that you know maybe once every hour he's repeating a group, and he's getting tired of saying that you know those were the Johnny Man singers or whatever you might want to call them uh, twice in an hour. So. We're on the phone with each other while we're both on the air, just talking, catching up. And he says, uh, hang on a second, listen to this next break that I do. So I'm listening, and he goes, uh, and that was the Warren Garling Chorale, and singing, you know, whatever, whatever. And I, I just, I almost dropped the phone. I, it just blew my mind. And he gets back on the phone. He said, you like that? I go, what are you doing? And he explained to me why, you know, he did it. He says, I'm using all my friends' names on the air. They've all got, you know, and that's how I keep them listening. <laughs> you know? I, uh, I would listen to Joe and the other announcers on ROW. And I, I remember saying to him once, yeah, we, we strove to sound as much like ROW as possible. Uh, because we were chasing you in the ratings all the time. Uh, and uh, you probably had the same. He goes, no, we weren't even aware of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Uh, Ow. Yeah, exactly. Thanks, exactly. Joe. I think that actually happened between Joe Gallagher and I. I think he had no idea that I was competing with him over on the FM playing the same music he was playing on the AM. Uh, OKO was country and, and GNA has always been. And uh, I don't think he had any idea that I existed. And yet I knew he did. And I got a chance to hear people talking about him and how funny he was and the different things he was doing. And I wound up doing character voices on the air. You know, because I heard that Joe was was doing that. He had Marge and and who knows who else uh, appearing on his show over the years, and so yeah. I started doing uh, some of my own. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. And so and Don Weeks had yes. Randy Grump and oh, sure. people like that that he oh, did on yeah. the air. Yeah. It was still there was respect for this theater of the mind yeah. thing. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. That I don't know how much of it is still around. I don't hear it yeah. really. But. Yeah. So how how long did you work at uh, WHS? And what what name did you use when you would open the microphone? Did you have Paul, Paul Benjamin? Paul Benjamin. Yeah, it's the okay. only time I ever used a name other than my own. Okay. And uh, where did Paul Benjamin come from? Uh, I liked Richard Benjamin, the actor. Okay. Uh, I liked him in Goodbye Columbus. Sure. Which is a great movie. Yeah. And a great book. Uh, and uh, I don't know where the Paul came from. <laughs> it just, just seemed to fit. It just worked. Yeah. <laughs> Good for you. Some of us didn't have choices along the way. We've talked about I that know, over, yeah. over the James. years. Yeah, exactly. Just thrown at you because <laughs> they, they happen to have a jingle shout that said, you know, that yeah. name, you know. So you're you're the next Jesse James or whatever. Crazy stuff. So how long did you uh, hang out with uh, your, you the person so, you affectionately call Knothead? Oh, um, well... John gave me my first job in radio. Right. Uh, at Wish. He was right. a program director. Mm-hmm. Um, and I worked there for seven years. He had left um, wisely just before they changed format to Picks. Okay. Where everybody got fired except me because I wasn't on the air anymore. I was doing production. But uh, John went across town to WWOM. That's right. Which later became K Light. And then he called me one time, and he, like a year or two later, he said, Larry, Come to work for me. Hmm. So I said, mm, I don't know, John. I, you know. So I called John Pingator, who was a continuity director. Oh, yeah. My, my I boss. remember that name, yeah. And I said, John, uh, Nothead has offered me a job across town. He goes, yeah. no, nah, don't do it. Okay. I said, well, I'll tell you what. Get me a $10 raise and I'll stay. <laughs> so he went to John Kelly. Sorry, John, <laughs> for throwing you in here. But he went to John Kelly and Kelly said, no. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> so I left and I went to OM. So Don had hired me a second time. Cool. And then he, uh, let's see. So by this time, you have, uh, as you said, you're no longer on the air. You're doing, you've gone into uh, production. Right. Yeah. I'm not a non-air personality. Oh, yeah, yeah. In fact, I remember asking John, you know, what do you want to hire me for? He goes, I don't care. I just, <laughs> I just want you to work for me. And I ended up doing, you know, everything except, yeah. you know, being on the air. Sure. Uh, I, uh, the first time at OM, I did copywriting, production, co-op. Um, I think I ran the coffee club, <laughs> uh, stuff like that. Yeah, cool. And then, uh, let's see, then I went to GY. And that was a big break for me. Mm-hmm. I stayed there for five years, and then I, uh, then John called me again. <laughs> okay, <laughs> and he said, "Yeah, well, you know, GE sold the station. Your benefits are down the tubes. Uh, I'll <laughs> offer you more money if you come to work for me." And I said, "What do you want me to do?" He says, "I don't care. <laughs> I just want you to work for me." <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I went over there and worked for him. So I, you know, Nothead has been 
yeah. was my constant companion. A almost. lot of folks that I've interviewed so far and others that I that I know and talk to all the time uh, in my circle of, of D- DJ friends and radio friends, um, there's usually one or two people that uh, play a big part in their lives as to where they go. I mean, I, I actually followed my uh, my college program director to Tupelo, Mississippi, because yeah. he called and said, you know, come down and work for me. And um, and so that's happened to. But who uh, wouldn't you know, who wouldn't want to work in Tupelo? Well, there you go, yeah. there you go. He yeah. said, "Come on, this is where Elvis was born." I said, "Hey, count me in. I'm there." You know, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> and he was born in a room not bigger than this that we're sitting in, our little den here. Um, but uh, yeah, there's a lot of stories that way. So it's not as much you know what you know as as who you know. And well, when you get used to working with somebody and you know they'll do a good job for you, you 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 bring them along. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's you know. I mean, if you're if you're a good desk jockey, you get good ratings. Mm-hmm. You have good audition tapes, uh, and you can get good jobs doing that. But if you're not, and that was me, you get jobs by just showing up and doing working hard. Yeah, yeah. And then everybody wants you to you know to work for them because yeah. you can do that. But um, what saved me coming out of radio was the fact that John Pinchator, when I worked at uh, TRY and Picks, finally let me start writing copy. There you go. John didn't like writing copy. There you go. Uh, and so I started, I still remember the first copy I wrote was uh, for cow feed or something. Uh, it was <laughs> aired during the farm report. Okay. And it was agonizing. Oh, it I had mean, to be. Yeah. He used, every day he'd call, he'd say, Larry, How's that feed copy coming? <laughs> I'm like, I'm almost there. <laughs> and so, but that got easier after that. Sure, so, sure. And, so uh, the, the the when I ask folks to provide me samples that I can throw in, you know, uh, after in, in post-production here and, and play air checks of what they've done on the radio, you couldn't send me those, but you have shared with me uh, a couple of minutes worth of your your product if you will which is you wrote the stuff that we were going to listen to i right? wrote wrote and produced it wrote and produced it yeah. but it was a different you know different voices doing it for you uh in yeah mo- in I most mean, cases I, did you do a little bit of oh yeah sure okay good sure. i would do i would do stuff myself but uh but especially as time went on um i found other other people who sounded better than me <laughs> <laughs> uh you know i mean it, it, yeah i mean the, the 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 voices on a commercial are very important Yes. Yeah, but everything. It's like well, the, true, the, true. The the writing, of course, I believe is important. Mm-hmm. But the voices are important. The production is important. Yeah. The music, all of the elements that yeah. go into a commercial. In March, when the Schoharie Valley cast a nervous eye on the aging Gilboa Dam, the Gazette wrote the story. No more chain stores for us, Santa. I was born at night, but it wasn't last night. <laughs> That's a good one, sir. That'll be all. Yes, sir. A cheetah can run up to 75 miles per hour. Though it does have trouble stopping. I got them paint peeling, rusty feeling. Slushy, grimy, unappealing. Dirty, gritty roads, saw blue. Wildlife of Saratoga. One, the speckled tweeter. Two, the ring billed tern. <laughs> Three, the lucky hootie bird. Woo-hoo! Who 
Who's your daddy? Dig this, cool cats. It's cool cash. Times Union classified cool cash. For the past several million years, businesses have bored their customers to death with ugly, mundane surveys. Where the Northway begins, the sidewalks sizzle this Saturday. It's Stuyvesant Plaza's summer sidewalk sale. To prison guards, it's lockdown. To inmates, it's the box. I don't want no lies. I don't want no rules. I don't want no strings. Just tie me down. Tired of being lied to? Do you suffer one or more of these symptoms? Runny eyes, vacant stare, excessive drooling? I feel crummy. You've got cabin fever, and we've got the cure. Saratoga Gaming and Raceway. With Dr. Preferred Triquinto Disecalethroid Acamparoncothene Plasmingo Toxicol OTO7. With vitamin A and hard-to-obtain micro-pulverized cutaneous histogens and a non-oily base. Can you say that again? Actually, no. And later on, I got into writing TV. Same thing, except yeah, yeah. even more so because TV's a different... You have a couple of senses you're engaging there. So. Mm. What, what I admire about what you were able to do is that that was your sole job. Most of us in radio, depending again on the size of the station, would be a disc jockey, but we'd also be expected to voice commercials right. and sometimes write them as well. So the salesman would come in and uh, and say, you know, this this needs to be, you know, to take this one inch by one inch newspaper ad and turn it into a sixty second spot for. Well, that's what they did to John Pinchetour yeah. at TRY yeah. all the time, and that's why he would either give it to me to write. After a while, or he would, we had a, a, a lady there, Jane Brand, hmm. who also was a part-time copywriter. Cool. Or they would just pull, if it was an advertiser from last year, the year before, they would pull their old copy. There you go. And, yeah. and just, you know, re, redo it. it Not Ann and I used to used to joke for uh, Andy Sporting Goods, it was, it was either hay skiers or attention skiers, <laughs> every commercial. Yep, yep. The good old days. And the, and the fun part was trying to make your the, the spot you're working on sound different from the spot you did last week. Trying not to use the same phraseology and the, and the, the same you know, presentation. It, I mean, it, yeah. it, there had to be some diversification. Well, and nobody else wanted to do it. Yeah, that's, that's the other true. Thing too. Uh, <laughs> what I, I found that, that it, it's, it's a great, you know, if you do things that nobody else wants to do, it's great job security. True. And yeah. uh, nobody wanted to write copy. Yeah. Remember when I worked at GY with Joe Gallagher, Joe didn't really like voicing commercials. Yeah, he still uh, still doesn't to this yeah, day. A yeah. lot of a lot of uh, radio personalities don't like doing commercials. Hmm. I loved it. Yeah. Yeah, I just yeah. that's all I ever wanted to do. Yeah. I, I enjoyed that as perhaps as much as the on air stuff. What I enjoyed was the fact that um, I had complete control, like I did in the studio, I guess, but I had complete control over, you know, all the production elements of it, you know, picking the music and, um, and, and timing it out so it, it, it was just perfect. The only thing that I uh, grew not to, to love, and that changed with digitizing coming along and going digital, was that if you got to this, the 59th second of your 60-second spot and you misspoke, you had to do the whole freaking thing over again. Well, sure. You know, because it was tape. And uh, you, you know, you you couldn't. Uh, you well, know, you who, who would ever, who would ever flub a, a yeah, yeah, right? Warren. Did you? Uh, never. Oh, happen. you're the guy. Never happened. You're I'm the, the guy. guy. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's it's, it's uh, for a lot of years. I did my voice work at um, Cotton Hill Studios, ah. and Ray, who's the owner, yep. would, would uh, an engineer would say, uh, Larry, I need 29 seconds on this. I need 14 seconds, and I'd always nail it. Yeah, yeah. And he'd say, Jesus, how do you do that? Yeah, I'm like. 
I don't know. Yeah. It's just I think that when you're when you're reading to time, yes. you develop an internal oh, clock. Oh, very much so. You very and much it, so. And it'll say, well, give me one more second on that read. I yeah. need one more second. There you go. And I do it again, and it would be and, one and second longer. Where you need to be. Exactly. Yeah. That has come um, uh, helpful, come, become helpful in my whole life because I can probably tell you what time it is, having not looked at a clock for an hour, hour and a half. I can probably tell you within a minute or two what time it is. Yeah. It's just that inner clock that you get to working with and you right. just you know time yeah you also tend not to be late for things yes yes um, <laughs> it's like i was talking to somebody the other day about a writing thing and they said well just write it when you have time i said no don't tell me that no no because no. it'll never get written exactly. i said give me a deadline yeah i can work to deadlines mm-hmm. i can work mm-hmm. to, to hard time yeah but not to like whenever you get around to it, it doesn't work. I have a, and, a that's few, radio. That's a radio that, discipline. That's what it's all. It, it is a discipline, and I, it just came true again last night. I invited a few guys over. The, I've been for the last forty years or so. We've been doing this thing called rock trivia, and it's the RPM edition of Trivial Pursuit, which came out in about nineteen eighty-two, I think. And so, since about nineteen uh, it, around that time. We started doing um, this this uh, probably three or four times a year we get together. So I just mentioned, you know, 7.30 Monday night. And at exactly 7.30 Monday night, two of the three people were standing at, at the door, had rung the doorbell. Yeah. I opened the door and I said, you know, I know you're old radio people because you're exactly on time. You're, yeah. you know, this, but you, and somebody, uh, uh, Jim uh, Netzer, uh, Jimmy Nichols said, uh, oh, it's that, that back timing to the news. I've got that down. You it know? is. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> yeah. Everything is uh, to the second. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy stuff. So um, you lasted, as you said, all together like about eighteen years in Something the business. Something like that, yeah. yeah okay, At, uh, I think we counted them up earlier. About eight different uh, radio stations like or that, different yeah. call letters. Ended up, um, my last gig was uh, ROW. Okay, I got to work with uh, Joe Condon. Oh, I got to work go. with uh, Bill Gagliardi. was a pro- was the uh, sales manager. Right. Um, Jake Russell was the general manager. Mm. Um, Dave DeMopier was still doing morning news. Wow. And uh, I was yeah. always a huge fan of yes. DeMopier. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I think Bill, yeah, Bill Shalcross was doing oh, mornings. There you go. Sure. I remember the, that name too. Yeah. I don't know, the AM or the FM or both sure. or whatever. I don't know. Yeah. No, great, great, uh, great names with uh, great careers. And uh, so. Um, you, what what happens? You decide you you need to uh, you know be your own boss or or you know because that's a well, lot what happens in this business. People yeah. segue out of it and either start their own business doing something similar or you know they have an offer they you right. know, can't refuse to make more money for the family or whatever. So what was it in your case? More money. Can you explain <laughs> what that is? Outside of what radio, you'd be is? surprised what you could make outside of radio. I uh, they Jake Russell hired me. Uh, and actually paid me pretty well uh, for for me. I think it was the most money I ever made. And uh, he said, "When well, you're going to be, uh, you're going to do promotions for us." We asked, yeah. you know, "Who's a good promotions person?" Cool. He said, "You." So we want you. <laughs> I said, "Okay." Well, he didn't know that I had been fired uh, by the owner of uh, K Light, um, and. I had like a week left. <laughs> okay. He had given me 13 weeks notice. Oh, okay. Because Bob Osfeld and John Knott didn't want to fire me. Okay. And they were the general manager and, and sure. program director. Sure, sure. But 
Paul Bendett was the owner, yeah. and he didn't like me, and I didn't like him, and so it was a personal thing. And mm. So he, he kept giving me more and more jobs. Remember Rick Mitchell used to tease me because he was doing mornings on K-Light. He'd say, oh, Larry, how many jobs do you have today? <laughs> like, well, I'm promotions, copywriting, continuity, production. I answer the phone at lunchtime. Uh, I am the assistant music director guy that, like, screens phone calls. I think Chris Holmberg was a music director. At the time. Oh, it was, it was, I had so many jobs. Yeah. And then finally he just fired me. Yeah. And so I remember, you know, Jake Russell, you know, have you, have you considered leaving K-Light? Oh, I don't know, Jake, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Jake never knew. <laughs> he never knew that <laughs> no, you needed he to. He never found out. Wow. Wow. In fact, he, he made me an offer and I said, no. Mm-hmm. I said, it's not enough money. <laughs> <laughs> the set I had on me, I, I don't know where it came from. But um, he said, oh, okay. Well, how much do you need? And I told him, and he said, okay. But what happened was, uh, once I got there, there were no promotions. Uh, Gary Pease was getting ready to sell the station. Oh. He, for whatever reason, there was no budget for promotions. Mm-hmm. Um, I said, well, I can do other things. Because <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, what yeah. I always did at every other oh, radio sure. job. So yeah. I, I write copy. No, we have we have union here. Uh so they wouldn't let me write copy. They wouldn't let me do production. They wouldn't let me do... I tried to get my movie reviews on the air. I had hmm. done at K-Light and at GY. Okay. Uh, that didn't happen. So I really had nothing to do. I was bored out of my skull. Oh, gosh. Uh, and then Gary P. sold the station to Albany Broadcasting. Mm-hmm. And uh, I quit. Okay. And uh, I remember Mike Collins, because I had worked with Mike before at, I think, TRY. And uh, he 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 did these sort of debriefings with all of the people, all of the employees. And I went in there and I said, "Hey, Mike." He goes, "Hey, Larry, how you doing?" I goes, "Good." I I save your breath, Mike. I quit. <laughs> and he goes, "You can't quit." I said, "Yeah, I can. <laughs> I don't have a contract." And he said, "Well, so we <clears throat> we ended up." Um, and the reason I quit is because I had worked for you know already. I had worked for that outfit before. It was not Albany Broadcasting. It okay. was a different different yeah. management, but it was the same people. Sure. And uh, yeah, I knew Albany Broadcasting. I knew I knew what would happen to my job eventually, and mm-hmm. where you know, mm-hmm. like I could see the writing on the wall. So I I thought, figure now I'll just get out. So I did. And uh, again, it was one of these thirteen week deals where he said, "We do you promise to stay for thirteen weeks?" I said, "You don't need me, really." Mm-hmm. Like he goes, "No, we're we're transitioning." ownership we we don't want to rock the boat so i said okay i'll stay for 13 weeks so i collected paychecks and did nothing wow and then i left to start an ad ad agency because that's the only thing that a copywriter can do well uh, yeah i guess yeah um and how'd that go for you uh, didn't go well at first. I ended up going to the Times Union. Okay. Now, were um, you, uh, you know, on your own when when you did this, or did you, you know, have a partner in crime? Or Steve Fitz Jr. was my uh-huh. uh, who I'd worked with at GY because he was in sales there. Okay. And Steve was a good friend of mine, and so we started a, a small. We got a, a, an office in the Stockade in Schenectady, ah. a small office mm. that we didn't need because we had no clients. <laughs> and uh, I think our biggest discussion was whether we should pay money to have a sh- to buy like a shade for the window. <laughs> um, and so, but then they hired me at the Times Union 
they asked me to come work for them. Oh, that's nice. I, it was the weirdest thing. It's like I've never really applied for a job. Well, I did apply for the job at GY. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I ended up uh, going to work at the Times Union. Stayed there for nine, or nine years, I think. Mm. And then I quit. Now, that was copywriting? Pretty much? No. What was um, it? It was not good. No, there were no writers. In fact, one of my one of my big things was at the newspaper was I said, look, you got, t- hundred, you got tons of employees here. You've got a lot of, you know, people in advertising art department cr- creating ads for people. You've got, you have not a single copywriter in the entire organization. Mm. Mm. And they're like, so <laughs> okay. you need, you need to, yeah, no. they, they didn't, they didn't get but, it. No, they didn't get it. Okay. But, um, so I, uh, Bob Provost hired me to, he said, I want you to come work for me. I want you to figure out how to, how to computer paginate. Cause they were still doing paste up. Oh boy. Um, yeah. I think the news newsroom had just changed over to some kind of a proprietary, uh, digital, publishing okay. system yeah but the rest of the paper was all paste up mm. Mm. Uh, and paste up is for those who don't know is where you have a composing room and you have people that just literally paste mm-hmm. lines of yeah. uh, type yeah onto a paper and then and then you know make plates from that yeah sure and run it on the press but uh i said well i don't know how to do that. I've never worked at a newspaper. He said, ah, you'll figure it out. I know you will. <laughs> so he hired me to do that. I ended up running the department, becoming a marketing cool. director after a few years. Uh, and then, but then I got bored because my whole job was just going in budget meetings all the time. And that's not really what I wanted to do. So I quit and started another agency with, again, with Steve Fitz Jr. Okay. And, but this Second time. Second time's the charm. Uh, yeah, and okay. we made, but this time we made money. Yeah, good. So okay, yeah, and that lasted for a while. That lasted for a while. Okay, and then we split into separate companies, and it still lasted for a while. Oh, that's still cool. We both made money, and so did you, did you have different talents, or you one one? Oh, yeah, you know, Steve, Steve wants to go a different direction than you did, or totally or? different talents. Yeah, okay. Steve was all all. Steve was a media buyer. I was a creative person. Okay, so I I produced the commercials, right? And he but sold. He was sold selling. Yeah. Them. yeah. Oh, that's interesting. No, it worked. It worked well. We're yeah. still friends. Cool. You know, to be, I think we were partners three times in our careers, and we're mm. still friends, and that's something. <laughs> now, do you remember some of the bigger clients that uh, that you had over the years uh, of that second time around? Well, any of are any of them still around? <laughs> no, <laughs> they all went out of business immediately after you. We together we handled, you know. The Gazette. Okay. Um, of course, I had done the Times Union as an in-house agency before that. Okay. Saratoga Gaming. We did the first five years. All wow. The, all okay. the creatives were mine. Yeah. Billboards, radio, TV. Neat. Yeah, everything. Yeah. Uh, that was a fun account to work on. Yeah. Um, you know, Hewitt's Garden Centers, uh, Roller sure. J Down. A lot of uh, a lot of um, retail. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, and all those are too. still around. So you didn't yeah. do too badly. No. Yeah. <laughs> no, we did. We did pretty well. And I, and then and plus, I got to uh, write other stuff that was you know for like other companies would hire me just to write stuff for them, like um, hmm. Stickly Furniture and 
Okay. UPS. They, <clears throat> they called, well, one company called me one time and said, I need you to write some TV commercials for Joe Montana. I said, hmm, do you want me to produce them? Because usually I was, I, I like to produce my own stuff. Sure. And they said, no, you can't produce this time. We just need you to write them because uh, Joe's in California. So we have to go to California and mm. we have like two hours with him to do these commercials. But you have to write them like Joe would talk because Joe's talking. I'm like, I don't know Joe. Montana. Yeah, yeah. And they said, yeah, well. And they tried to describe his personality to me. And I wrote the spots and he, he did them and they came out good. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, any other names like that that you uh, came across in, in in the years? People that we would know that you've done some uh, you know work for? Uh, See, no, no, that's that's about it. Joe Montana. It, okay. Well, it, yeah, and Joe was it was really UPS. Okay, I mean I always yeah. wrote for the company. I didn't oh, write sure, for the talent. Sure. But it was nice to to be able to know the talent, like you said. You were trying to write it. To, the, the funny to thing his was fan. when the uh, company hired me to write commercials for a Mexican chain of gaming play i said i don't mm. i don't speak spanish yeah they said well then write something that doesn't require words <laughs> okay <laughs> so i did interesting and uh wow. we produced them yeah yeah they were good but they didn't they didn't require talking yeah they were very visual <laughs> interesting so any uh, any regrets is there a, play, a direction that you thought you might want to go sometime and and you didn't take it or uh, you know any uh, did, 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 did life in this crazy business and and it's you know like next door environs you know marketing and advertising did that all seem to be to your liking you, you know you did think about doing anything else anything else you would have wanted to do in terms of a career? Yeah, career or a sideline or whatever, except maybe writing the book. I mean, you sp- how, long, how long did you spend uh, researching and writing that book? Uh, 12, 13 years. Yeah, that's yeah. what I thought, yeah. But uh, it was a, ho- yeah, it's, it's a hobby book. It was a hobby book. Yeah, well, sure, sure. Something that I did when I had yeah. time to do it. Yeah. I finally just stopped writing it yeah. and because my wife threatened to kill me <laughs> if I didn't stop writing it. So I stopped writing it and... Put it out there. Yeah, uh, I started mine, my memoir, probably three times, and um, I remember at one point um, I had quite a lot done on the first, and, and and my son, we shared a computer. The first computer we had was for everybody in the house, and my son thought he accidentally erased it, and I, I kept the letter that he wrote to me oh, apologizing because really? he uh. thought he had, I had, you know, I had lost all this, you know, months of work. And it turns out that it was there. It, it hadn't happened. <clears throat> At but, a certain uh, point, well, how, so how, how long did you work on it? Uh, I, I worked on it the first time probably a, a, you know, a few months, um, again, on and off because I was working full time. And then I, then I looked at it, uh, uh, when I put it aside and didn't look at it for a year or two, I looked at it and it had references in it to, you know, the Olympics of, you know, five years ago or whatever. Right. And so I started it again. <clears throat> And didn't get very far at all, and that was probably because I was working, uh, you know, quite a busy week, uh, the average week where I was working at the time. So it wasn't until I actually retired that I, I really got into it. I, yeah. I, I uh, you know, reworked the opening of the second time around and just spent a lot more time on it, uh, and then got it to where it was publishable. Well, yeah. I mean, about 10 of the 12 years that I wrote my book was not writing, it was rewriting. <laughs> and at a certain point, you... You start to lose it, mm-hmm. 
You don't have mm-hmm. any perspective anymore. Yeah. yeah. You uh, you've you've put a lot into and then taken a lot out of, and changed the book. Yeah. Um, and or you'll find something in chapter four is like, wait a minute, that was in chapter one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, that and, happened to me once or twice. And the yeah. longer the book gets. The, the easier it is to make those mistakes. Sure, yeah. So you end up just rewriting, 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 and then it, you yeah. reach a point where it's like, okay, stop. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just stop. It's writing a book, you know, I mean, I had written a lot. Oh, yeah. 30 sure. seconds. Yeah, exactly. 60 seconds. Yeah. Writing a book is completely different. Yeah. Um, I, I had uh, some luck in that respect in that I had written some... Uh, um, uh, chapters in some professional books. When, when I left radio, I went into uh, 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 what do I want to say? Uh, <laughs> marketing. It was professional services marketing for a CPA firm, and I wound up being hired by the AICPA after a few years, uh, the National Association of CPAs, to uh, write a couple chapters in some of their marketing books. So, having had that background, it, it, that's probably when I got the idea first to, to do a memoir. I said, well, if I could write that stuff, you know, um, it should be easy just to, you know, rack my brain about how I got into radio and, and go there. Sure. You know, so uh, so it worked out. So I had that written, but, but prior to that, like you, 30, 60 seconds was the longest I'd ever written. Yeah. Yeah. Every time I tried to, the editors that would look at the book would say, well, it has to be longer. But every time I rewrote it, it got shorter, it got shorter instead. because <laughs> that's copywriting training. Yeah, it's like you yeah. tighten, tighten, tighten. Exactly. Yeah. You don't you don't expand? Yeah. Yep. Uh, and it it it's really uh, it's a learning process. Sure. Sure. You know? Yeah. You you learn to uh, throw away words like uh, that, which uh, you don't need in a lot of thirty second copy. Um, you know, and and there are other words similar that you can get away without, and it still makes sense, and people understand what you're saying. Oh yeah. yeah. Especially when the uh, you know, radio used to be 60s. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, commercials were, most commercials were 60 seconds. Yeah. And then it got to be where most commercials were 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. And some were even shorter. Now, now you're hearing a lot of 15s, yeah. Even fives. Yeah, you yeah. Know. Uh, hmm. that, it's tough. It, it, then you have to change the way you write a little bit. Because you could tell a story in 60 seconds. It's really hard to tell a story in 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I yeah, like storytelling yeah. type of copywriting. Oh, sure. But um, yeah. but hey, you know, that's not what people are, are buying. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, no. Um, now, you mentioned um, talking with editors and such. You originally wanted to go the traditional route of, um, of publishing this book. I did. Through a publishing house with editors and all that fun stuff. Yeah. And, and you found that to be a challenge. Um, I found it to be, yes. Uh, I, I spent a lot of time, I won't say a wasted time. I spent a lot of time looking for agents and publishers. Uh, I probably didn't talk to too many because I'm essentially lazy. But I did a lot of research and I talked to some. And, you know, the thing is that that I learned about the book industry today is that editors and agents don't really care how well a book is written. Hmm. They they look at the genre. Is it a hot genre or ah, not? Ah, interesting. Um, or unless you're a celebrity, which I well, oh, sure. It's yeah, like yeah. I went to New York for a writer's thing, and the and the the the, the editor there said, who, "Who are you?" And I told him who I was. And they said, "And what is this book?" 
<laughs> I said, it's a memoir. I said, why are you... Nobody knows who you are. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah true. Yeah. Well, that's why mine was originally just for the family. Yeah. I really did not plan on, on you know, printing it and publishing it, you know, and, and widely. Oh, well, oh, by the way, I got my tax uh, thing today from uh, uh, Amazon as to uh, how much royalties I've had in the last year. $12. I got mine too, but I haven't opened it because uh, Amazon can't, can't, there's something with my checking account that I didn't oh, set up properly. Oh no! Properly. Oh no! Okay. <laughs> so I don't think I've. I, I think there are royalties there, but I haven't gotten. Oh, you, them. you should look into that. I mean, your first, now my first year, I did fine. I mean, I, I I sold as many. I sold more probably than I thought I would. Yeah. Uh, but you know, to the same folks that are listening to this podcast, to be honest with you, and uh, but um, yeah. So th- this year though, the grand total uh, you know was twelve. So well, yeah. um, uh, you know, Amazon also lets you. Uh, do uh, if you're KDP, if you're yeah. if you're part of their yes, I am. Uh, they let you um, give away your book or True. discount your book. Yep, a certain number of days. Sure. And I find that when I do that, a lot of people love the free book. Oh, of course, I did. <laughs> they, <laughs> Thank they you. They download the free book. Um, it doesn't matter to me. No, you know, no, it, it had, doesn't. I'm no not financial. in it to make money anyway. Yeah. Just like when I was in radio. Right. <laughs> Yeah, if you wanted to make money, you didn't get in the radio in the first place. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. You know, and I, I, I have to, God bless both mom and dad. They had no idea when they encouraged me to go for it, you know, because they, they knew I loved you? it so much. Well, they didn't discourage me. And, and you know, my first summer on the radio, I needed a ride. I wasn't driving yet, yeah, you know. You were I was young. 16, I was very young. And so, uh, no, they never discouraged it, but they also didn't do their research. They didn't look into the fact that you don't make a hill of beans, no. you know, and, and especially small market radio, even medium market radio. I know? think my mother was more uh, typical in that even after I'd been a radio for 10, 15 years, she said, when are you going to get <laughs> a job? When are you going to get a job? job? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> when are you going to stop screwing around and get a job? Exactly. Like, mom, I have a job. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but no. eventually you had the name on the door, which is pretty cool, you know, to have an ad agency and to, uh, you know, do what you enjoyed and, you know, parlaying the lousy paying, you know, radio gig into something that uh, you could live on. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, I mean, I attribute a lot of it to luck. Okay. But, um, but the other thing is, is that I always quit jobs and people always said, you're nuts. Mm-hmm. It's like, mm-hmm. and I said, no, I know, I know when to move on to the next thing. Yeah, good for you. Uh, I, when I quit GY to go to K Light, they said, "What are you out of your mind?" I said, yeah. "Nope, I'm yeah. doing the right thing for right for, now." Yeah, right now I and for you. Is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I remember uh, leaving um, uh, WKAJ in Saratoga again. I worked there after college for about fifteen months, I think. And um, I remember going into Kent Jones and saying, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going into the city. I've got a station in Troy, and they're about to sign on a, a station uh, in Albany as well. And I'm going to go down there and uh, do news for them. And um, he looked at me and said, you'll be back. And that's all he needed to do. I mean, it was a challenge. I was going to make sure I'd never be back yeah. again, you know. But, uh, and, I, and I didn't. Yeah, we'll parlayed that into bigger things as years went on. Yeah, it reminds me of uh, when I left... Uh K-Light, not had said, yeah, I was just talking to Osfeld, who, by the way, was a great guy. Oh, I, I, I've i never heard a bad word said about Bobby Osfeld. Bob was a really decent guy. Yeah, yeah. But he said to, to John, he said, 
Moss, he'll never make this much money on radio again when he leaves here. <laughs> and that was my challenge. Sure. And I did. Sure. Like right out the door, I made more money. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. So yeah. it's, yeah, you get those little things that people say, they don't remember, I'm sure, yeah. saying them. Yeah. But they become stuck in your head mm-hmm. and you take it as a challenge. Yeah. Well, th- that's what I d- did with the uh, with getting let go from uh, GNA after I'd been there 11 out of 12 years I had been there. And just all of a sudden walked into work at 8.31 morning at 9 o'clock, I'm, I'm home. And um, and it just came right out of the blue. I did know, not know why. There was really no cause. They couldn't give me any reason why they made something up. It turned out a few months later that um, they were going to put the station up for sale. Yeah. And I was one of, they, they let go of two or three people that day. And we were making, uh, all of us were making some decent money because we'd been there a while. Right. And they wanted to make the bottom line look better, and that's what happened. But in retrospect, within a couple of years, I said, that's the best thing that ever happened to me, was somebody telling me, you're, you're done with full-time radio. See, that's one of, the, one, of the, one of my secrets for staying in a radio gig is not to make too much money. I fought against making too much money. Okay. Radio, which, I was successful. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. But no, that, uh, yeah, no, that happens. And you don't, you know, people make jokes about it. Mm -hmm. But you, um, it's like Tom Brownlee saying, you know, if you don't get fired in your first five years, something's wrong. Oh, yeah, yeah. You get fired all the time in radio. Oh, absolutely. You don't take it personally. It's kind of a badge of honor in in many cases. I mean, it's show business. Yeah, exactly. In a sense. And, uh or I like to I like to compare it to carnival. <laughs> okay, just move business. on to the next. But what it whatever you <laughs> yeah. yeah you move on to the next thing. Yeah, yeah. You, you get fired all the time. Sure, sure, yeah. Well, this has been fun, and um, and I'm not sure uh, if if we really uh, need to say it, but I'm going to do it anyway. I have to thank you profusely because you came in five days ago to do this uh, with me, and uh, my uh, eight year old. Lab, uh, desktop computer here decided to uh, lose the uh, the recording and when I let you know that that had happened you'll notice that I didn't ask you to come back I waited for you to volunteer because I felt so bad I figured I'll I'll just interview my aunt or something this month you know I'll just find somebody to talk to she listens to the radio and uh, well, there you go. You know, and and you were nice enough to say I, I can come back in when do you want to get together and, and you know here we are five days later uh, I promise you that won't happen again. I figured figured out, I think, what the problem is, and okay. we won't let that happen, and this will get out there. In fact, I hope to publish it today uh, to stay on schedule, so um, so we'll get it out right away. And uh, I, I can't thank you enough for coming back well, in and, it and was talking. A, it was a blast both times. <laughs> <laughs> well, I loved your response when I told you that I had lost the recording. I couldn't couldn't get it back. And you said, ah, wasn't that good <laughs> of the interview? Take two. And I thought, yeah, all right, good. I said, well, if you want to make it up, you know, here's the time, you know. So well, you always you do know, a backup take it. anyway, right? Oh, of course. You know, actually, I thought of that when when you when I realized I had. It took me ninety minutes to feel finally give up and say I'm not going to get this back. I thought, why didn't I just turn my phone on and or my you know iPad and just record? A second copy, you know, just sitting here. At least I'd have the information and might be able to salvage something from that recording. Uh, I didn't do that today, so you better hope this works. I hope so. <laughs> but again, thanks, Larry, and, and best of luck going forward Thank with uh, retirement and enjoy that, uh, you know, family, all the grandkids and oh, all that stuff. I do every day. All right. So. Talk to you soon. Thanks, Warren. Radio Split Ranch.
See, I told you you'd have fun listening to Larry, and maybe you learned something along the way as well. If you're uh, keeping count, Larry made stops at eight different sets of call letters in his brief but colorful broadcasting career. Add those stations to the 57 total from our first five guests, and oh, you're good. It brings our running count to 65 stations between our first six guests. If you're enjoying our monthly meeting of the minds here at the Radio Split Ranch, would you do me a favor? Leave your comments either on my podbean.com homepage or even at our Facebook page. I'm open to all suggestions except sell your recording equipment. And after more than 50 years in the business, I've got plenty of thick skin, so don't hold back. I'd especially like to hear from our regular listeners that I have found we have in Germany, Australia, Ireland, and Canada. What brings you back to uh, each episode or for each episode? It certainly can't be the air checks I include at the end, like the one coming up from 1976. It's an evening shift on double WGNA, when I used to visit with a couple of interesting characters that I employed to put a smile on the listener's face. Enjoy. And until we meet again, don't cry because it's over. Smile because it happened. You're invited. Come on in. Sonny James and the Southern Gentlemen get us started with the number four song from the 45 caliber survey this week. Ten and a half minutes after seven o'clock and the crazy ones on the radio till midnight tonight. You're invited to stay with us. First prize on our show this evening, a dozen wax lips left over from the Troy City Council meeting this past Monday. It's a biggie. Donna Fargo, new ammo to the 45 caliber survey this week from FM Country, GNA, called Don't Be Angry. Well, you'd better start paying a little more attention to me. Uh, excuse me, uh, Abner, is there something that I can do for you? I mean, what? Sure is, Clyde. No, it's you'd Chris. Better... What? Chris is my name. Oh, yeah, yeah, right, whatever. Listen, what? did, did you read your horoscope today? Abner, do you really believe in those things? Well, yes, I do, and you, you'd better believe in it, too. Uh, did you read yours today? No, Abner, I didn't read my horoscope today. Well... It says you will meet a tall, dark lynch mob right after your show. G-N-A. Nineteen seventy-four gold bullet music for Jim Monday. Come home, or at least come to me. On a Thursday evening, let's check out the FM country weather as we say hi to our friends in Clarksville. Partly cloudy percent tomorrow night. Right now it's 44 Fahrenheit, 6 Celsius, and we've got mostly partly cloudy skies from FM country. And by request for Clintondale this evening, this is David Allen Coe with Willie, Waylon, and me. I heard the burrito heard. GNA FM Country with David Allen Coe, 16 from the 45 caliber survey this week. 20 minutes after 7, and the country continues gospel sounds with Horn and Alexander. 273, 6500, if there's something you'd like to hear this evening on the request line, it's open, wide open right now. The crazy one, Chris. Little 75 or up. Why not? No, sir. Wind up in the pokey with Smokey. I'm going to pull that old CB thing out of the box. GNA! Oh, I don't want to talk it over anymore. 
I wish you'd put the gun away. That's Connie Smith, 10 from the 45 caliber survey from FM Country GNA 734 in the evening, or if you read your clock upside down, 26 before 8. And the crazy one's with you with my cast of Zanies till midnight tonight. We're going downstairs for the next few moments, yes, to Clara's Cafe, Truck Stop, and Indian Bead Emporium. As we step inside, let's drop into the kitchen and see if Clara's busy this evening. Hi, Clara's just sitting here laughing. No, oh, that's good. That, that's great, Clara. Nice to see that you're in a good mood. Well, it's not every day that you find out that your best friend is growing up. Gro growing up? Just what are you talking about? Who? It's Abner. Oh. You know, he's still carrying his Roy Rogers lunchbox. Oh. But he's got a Dolly Parton thermos. G-N-A.